It's a positive film. It has heroes and villains, and uh, that it essentially uh, is a fun movie to watch. It's been a long time since people have been able to go to the movies and see a sort of straightforward, wholesome, fun adventure. Well, it's a fantasy. It's not science fiction so much as it is space fantasy, and it's about people. It's about. It's finally about people and not finally about science. The story, when you actually put it into words, is only so much nonsense to hang a great visual experience onto. It's the stuff that fairy tales are made of. Sort of boiling down religion into a very basic concept: uh, the fact that there is some deity or some power or some force. That sort of controls our destiny,、uh, works for good and also works for evil. Marvelous, healthy innocence, great taste, wonderful to look at, full of guts, nothing unpleasant. I mean, people go bang bang and people fall over and are dead, but you know, no horrors. A sort of wonderful freshness about it, a kind of like a wonderful fresh air. It's got whatever you want it to be. It's a, it's pure entertainment. It's like a roller coaster ride, and it can be interpreted as long as you enjoy it, which is the intention. Welcome back to Generation Skywalker as we continue on our Attack of the Clones anniversary month,、uh, full of shows, and here we are, our third show of the month. And I was lucky to catch up with super fan of the prequels and Attack of the Clones, Matthew Schoenfelder. I don't like sand. It's coarse and rough and irritating, and it gets everywhere. Not like here. Here everything is soft and smooth. Right, so I'm delighted to welcome to Generation Skywalker、uh, Matthew Schoenfelder. Matthew, good evening. What? Yes, good evening. Good evening from Northern California. Yeah, I think it's probably just only just gone、uh, only just gone lunchtime there, but it, it is evening. That's correct. <laughs>、exactly. Yes, absolutely. Yes, yeah, just noon. Now. I'm delighted to have you on Generation Skywalker. We are we are delving into Attack of the Clones this month, and、um, we're all going. Just just been talking to you about this off off air, but we've been going on a bit of a journey with this as a film. Although we're near the start of the month,、um, we've rec- obviously recorded a lot of shows that are coming up, and、uh, I think yeah, all the yeah, team, yeah, all the team are going on a journey with it, and I think there's parts of it that we've not not probably given enough respect to over the. Over the years, and and maybe appreciating a bit more now, we're delving into it, and hopefully, other people can as well as we as we go through this month. But before I get onto that, I mean, you you are you love the prequels? Was that fair to say? I, yeah, I I have the luxury of being old enough that I've seen them all in the theater, even the originals in the seventies, and so I grew up with Star Wars. And so when the prequels came around, we were adults; we were already having fun. You know, we already had our adult mindset, and we just jumped right in, and it was like we were kids again. 
And so we never really lost that feeling. I mean, sure, there might have been a few things that Lucas was doing differently as an artist, you know, as he had aged and as he had evolved as a storyteller. But uh, my friends and I in the group, we just kind of, we just ate it up. We just soaked it up. We loved it. You know, we spent hundreds and hundreds of, uh, you know, dollars seeing him in the theater while they were coming out. It was like an every Sunday ritual was, you know, so we, yeah. So, so from that, from the first time you saw it, you, you appreciated for what it was. Yeah, it was, I mean, there's obviously story elements that we had waited, you know, 20 plus years to see the creation of the stormtroopers and how that would all come around. And, you know, so there were big moments in Attack of the Clones, you know, seeing uh, Anakin and Padme finally have some type of a relationship other than, you know, what we had seen in uh, Phantom Menace. So it was a, it was, it was a nice way to see them actually have some time together, you know, to see that love blossom. I mean, it's, it's a bit of a love story, you know, the attack of the clones, but at the same time, it's just one more, one more piece in that, in that arc of the tragedy of Anakin Skywalker. Looking forward to delving into it with you, actually. Oh, but, thank you. But before we get into there, you, you run three Facebook groups, one for each of the prequel films. I yeah, it, uh, it was about six years ago. I was noticing that there wasn't really a lot of love on Facebook. There were, there's many, many Star Wars groups, I mean thousands even, that kind of you can throw anything at and you're all good. But I wanted to do something a little bit more dedicated to each of those episodes, one, two, and three. And so it was just that. I just sat here and you know, spent a weekend, uploaded a bunch of screenshots. I was pausing the um, DVDs and just taking some, some screenshots, making some posts and just trying to show some love for the prequels. Yeah. And I would, I would um, recommend the groups to anybody. I think they're just named after the films, aren't they? For So for example, the Attack of the Clones is just called Attack of the Clones. And then I think in brackets, 2002 film. If I'm correct. Yes, and I actually modeled that from some pretty prominent Star Wars groups um, over in the UK where you're at, and they have the same name. So it's A New Hope, 1977, then there's Empire Strikes Back, 1980, and Return of the Jedi, 1983. And those have actors and people at Lucasfilm actually belong to those. So those are like your massive major trilogy pages, and so I modeled mine after them and that's why the word star wars is not in the name is i was kind of trying to piggyback on what they had already done and just kind of do it the prequel version yeah yeah so i would urge everybody to go to go and join the groups because if finished you you're a fantastic admin you you post at least something daily and all, all sorts of things from videos to concept artwork i've seen on there while i've been on there to i mean sometimes there's some tongue-in-cheek stuff there's behind the scenes footage photos and stuff I, I mean it's just a just a nice way of looking at the movies and I, I do think these films need to get a little bit more um a little bit more love did you uh i noticed you'd posted the the hot toys c3po and r2d2 does, does that kind of thing interest you oh yeah i've um i've i've been lucky enough to grow up with the toys at christmas and on birthdays you know, I, I do enjoy the merchandise. Yeah, the, the films are amazing, of course, but there is a, uh, yeah. you know, there's a kid in all of us that loves opening a new a new Star Wars box with something in it. Totally agree. I'm a, a big collector myself, and um, I'm a big lover of the Hot Toys as well. I think they uh, do a oh, wonderful, phenomenal. wonderful, yeah. wonderful Yeah, great job. brand. Yeah, uh -huh. really is brilliant. Now, you've just also told me before uh, we just came on that you live near the Redwood where uh, Return of the Jedi 
had lots of films filmed. That must be an incredible. Project, yeah, it? Uh, it, it is. And unfortunately, some of it over the decades has been, um, you know, um, it's now private property and you can't just walk on there. But there are some groups that will come up here and they will visit the movie scenes. You can pay a little money, go on a tour. They'll kind of show you where that one speeder bike exploded. You know, there's there's a few moments like that, but a lot of it has been developed over the decades. And so you can't find every um, iconic spot but it is nice up here the weather is beautiful the redwoods are amazing and i feel like i'm just kind of down the road from the ewok village <laughs> that's brilliant yeah it's one place i'd love to visit even as a i mean i'm not sure you're familiar with the disney film but when i was a child i was quite in love with the gnomobile as well which oh, was okay. also filmed in those woods so uh oh yeah. great one to go and check out if you haven't seen it and you can go and uh, track down where all the gnomes are running around <laughs> yeah absolutely absolutely <laughs> Right then, so let, let's get on to Attack of the Clones. We've got this this movie which is near enough all CGI. I mean, all every I think every he said every frame is got something CGI'd in it. How do you feel at the time? Did the CGI take you out of it at all at any point, or did you? Just you know, it, it? The, the reason um, yes to answer the question, it did not. But I I'm an artist. I grew up as an artist. I've embraced different mediums. You know, I love miniatures. I'm all about that. In fact, more miniatures were made for Phantom Menace than the entire um, original trilogy, you know, combined. Yeah. So, they're, 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 you know, that is where the, the detail comes in. But as artists, uh, you know, jump into the computer and they get more digital, at first it does. I mean, you can see. I mean, everybody can notice when it's a digital versus, you know, so we're not quite – we're not quite there, but we're closer than we've ever been, especially now that we're 20 years after Attack of the Clones. But I think for the believability and the storytelling, it's like you're young again. I do fully embrace the digital. And even though Yoda was kind of on the fence, were they going to go digital? Were they going to go, you know, practical with that group? Um, but it's, it's, you know, again, if it doesn't take away from the story, then I still love it. And it's, uh, you know, there's a lot of hard work by a lot of dedicated artists and so um, if something looks off, they're going to hear about it. And Star Wars fans love to let you know anything that's wrong, don't they? <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> yeah. Yoda's one, one thing for me that, that works really well. I think he's, he comes out brilliantly from that film and still stands up. To oh, that. absolutely. Absolutely. And I bet if, um, if we were to go back in time, I'm sure Lucas wanted the Frank Oz puppet to have as much personality as possible. But, you know, when you're looking at it from that standpoint of, not, you know, 1980 – you know, the technology with, uh, you know, Stuart Freeborn and everybody that was involved in making Yoda. It was quite quite an accomplishment then, and I think it was equally an accomplishment in 2002 when Attack of the Clones came out, just a, you know, just a different machine. Definitely. And obviously CGI also gave them the ability to literally put them in any environment, and we saw that in particular with Camino. Environments, any favorites, any standouts in there? You know, I yes, you just nailed it. Yes, the whole Camino thing. I love the the way that the trilogies rhyme. And in Empire Strikes Back, the second film of that trilogy, you had the intro with the ice on Hoth, and to complement that, in Episode Two, you know, Attack of the Clones, you've got Camino, which is still water. So I, I really like the way they chose the locations to almost rhyme with each trilogy. And again, the fact that that's where the clones came from. I mean, it's. I mean, it blew our minds, and it still blows my mind every time I watch it. It's just such a, it's just such a great explanation as to where, you know, that group came from. And it, and in fairness, they probably couldn't have done a lot of the work that they did on Coruscant without having this technology. 
Yeah, absolutely. In fact, the just the scope of it. I mean, they might have done a couple of matte paintings and maybe some water in an old-fashioned, you know, Godzilla tank or something. But but yeah, the way they the way they put the CG together really just just made it work. And then of course the fantastic fight on Kamino with Obi Wan versus Jango Fett in the rain. I mean, I don't think that had been done in Star Wars before. A battle in the rain. No, no. So that was that was brand new. I was only watching the um, like the behind the scenes making of top documentary today, and uh, mm-hmm. it's, quite, it's quite funny seeing uh, seeing Timur Morrison and Ewan McGregor there. They are just on a green screen set, aren't they? But they are actually getting covered in water. Oh it's, yes, so it's a, so it's a brilliant bit of video. <laughs> yeah, I, I love the scene of him with the uh, umbrella. Yeah, he's like got the singing in the rain <laughs> routine going on. I love that. Yeah, it is. Uh, yeah, there's something charming about about that still. Yeah, I, I mean, that, watching those kind of things adds to this film to me when you see like um you see like the jedi literally not fighting anyone and trying to have dialogue and stuff it's quite a it's quite it must be very difficult for the actors a completely different sort of take on their normal normal acting it was, yeah it was yeah weird. and they used to say um you know with with yoda for example in empire strikes back you still had a physical you know you had frank oz under the set with his arm up and you had a couple operators and so there was somebody that the actors could play off of and that does help for the believability of the scene. And yes, you're correct when it's digital. Um, like I remember the scene um, in Attack of the Clones when the uh, you know the finale where Yoda is fighting Count Dooku, and there's a classic uh, photograph from that set where they put some fangs on a little Yoda doll, you know, uh, because Christopher Lee played Dracula, <laughs> and they had that on the set, and it just everybody was cracking up, and they were they were doing that so he could actually still see a physical character you know because clearly that fight was just him yeah that's right. you know yeah yeah well, i've read that story yeah it's quite amusing isn't it for his uh that's that's great we, we were talking about it earlier this this film comes under quite heavy criticism i th- i think uh, from from star wars fans because of certain there's certain parts of this film i think i mean there's some real standout things i mean We've got a show coming up about the sounds. I don't mean the soundtrack. I mean the actual sounds. Absolutely, the Ben Burt and the the Matthew Wood. Wood. It's an that was an incredible show to delve into because the work that just just that alone is incredible, absolutely incredible. That it was a fascinating go through as something to explore. But I want to go through a few things with you that does take the criticism, and I would love to hear like a, a a fan of the films defense of these things to give them a reasoned argument rather than that's just rubbish and uh, if that's right. good with you i mean there might be possible oh it is that you are it is in fact but... for a few years yeah. i was kind of the prequel defender it's like you know and it, i would actually go on facebook and spend a couple hours trying to defend the prequels i don't do that so much these days because my time is you know put elsewhere but i very much in my heart i love george lucas i love everything about lucasfilm and if they need a high five from me, I'm ready to give it to them. It'd be great <laughs> to have that on here. Actually, before I, before I um we get to that, you you just saying about defending them. Do you think the prequels have been a little bit more um accepted after the sequels? I mean, the sequels get a lot of hate, and mm-hmm. I know people who have turned back to the prequels because of not enjoying the sequels so much. Do, do you think there's been a bit of a a bit of strengthening amongst Star Wars fans towards the prequels? Their love. 
You know, I've, I've seen that, and I, I have to say it's age, and we get more tolerant. Our anger fades away when something comes out, especially an intellectual property like Star Wars, and it's not what you would have done. I, I feel it's very easy for a fan to get um, angry or to say, well, I would have done this, or why couldn't they have done that? That's, that's very easy. We all feel attached to Star Wars. It's all very close to us, and some people can't help but voice that um, difference of opinion very loudly. Other people just kind of keep moving and go about their day. Um, but I, I do feel like over the decades, because, you know, 20 years now since Attack of the Clones, mm -hmm. I feel like a lot of people have taken a breath. They've reevaluated what made them angry, what didn't make them angry. And in hindsight, maybe it's rose-colored glasses. Maybe it's the fact that some people just have now a new enemy, if you will, right, the, you know, the Disney films. And so I feel like there are a few people that are now looking back and saying, well, it was George Lucas. He's the father of it all. You know, he was doing his thing. They're not so bad. I have, I have seen that with um, some people out in the world. Do you think the, the makers of the sequels actually learned anything from the prequels and the mistakes, or do you think... You know, I, I, I feel like they had it rushed. I feel like J.J. Abrams, you know, who directed 7 and 9, um, I believe he... I mean, he's a Star Wars fan like us. He grew up opening, you know, an AT-AT for Christmas back in the 80s. I mean, he's, he's literally a fan who was given the ability to make Star Wars canon. And I can only imagine the... <laughs> You know, the, you know, sort of the, you know, just, just the weight of that alone almost, you know, takes your breath away. The fact that you're going to be responsible for something that's going to be, you know, considered Star Wars law. So I, I, I think they did. I think they went back. They looked at what was good. There's a lot of Easter eggs, um, in, you know, in episode seven. But, you know, I don't know. I mean, I don't envy them as much as I would love to do a Star Wars project and maybe will someday if I can get my ducks in a row. But at the same time, that's got to be daunting. You know, for any director. Have you have you got a lot of love for the sequels as well, or is? You know, I haven't seen them as much. I mean, I've again seen them all in the theater. I love everything Star Wars, almost almost a little blindly in a way. I just I just love it. You could just slap Star Wars on a piece of yogurt that was going in the garbage, and I'd buy it. <laughs> but but long story short with but but long story short with that yes the sequels are definitely exciting they're over the top there's great fighting the stunt coordinator did amazing obviously John Williams you know incomparable so the soundtracks are phenomenal everything about them is a puzzle and if you take away one piece you kind of start to diminish it but it takes it takes every piece together to equal a Star Wars movie so you know some people uh, were not such fans of acting. But again, you can't you you know you can't put down John Williams. You can't put down Lucasfilm. The special effects are amazing. Everybody at ILM is just working so hard, and so that's where my love goes. It's not necessarily on maybe things I would have done differently with the script, or maybe I would have reshot that scene and made the person a little more angry. You know, those those I'm willing to let go because again of just all the hard work and the love and the dedication that went into making those. And they didn't have to, you know, I mean, for what it's worth, when Disney purchased Lucasfilm, they could have just let it, you know, stay there. And so I'm glad. I'm glad they wanted to, to bring the crew back. And um, even though they didn't follow some of the novels that had come out, you know, they kind of made their own story. I really did enjoy what they did. Again, it appeals to the child in all of us. It's You've got that kid in you that grew up loving Star Wars. Then, you know, just let that kid out.
Yeah. Do you know what? I, I love that positivity. I, th- I think that you're in, enjoying anything that they put out for what it is and, you know, the work put into it. Are you, are you like that on all movies or is it just Star Wars? Is there films you don't like or do you just appreciate you know, anything? Yeah, you know, I've, uh, being into science fiction my entire life, I feel like what happens is we get a little older, uh, we get a little more violent, we love things like Predator and RoboCop and The Terminator, and we kind of want Star Wars to follow that as we grow up. We want Star Wars to get dark and to get dirty and to get a little violent, and sometimes when it doesn't, I feel like that's where some fans have a little negativity too, is they want it to evolve and age with the audience. And really it's still aimed right at that younger crowd. You know, it appeals to kids. It appeals to the kid in all of us. And so I feel like if you keep that type of mindset with it and just go in for some fun and, you know, it's, it's, it's much more easy to enjoy it. And I do try to take that idea to other films as well. I used to be pretty critical um, you know, like most people, you know, especially when you feel passionate about something. And uh, with, with Star Wars and over the decades, I've really just relaxed. I've looked at it from the creator's point of view. And again, being an artist myself, I can put myself in their shoes and what a, what a task it would take. And then you're, you're happy with your baby. You put it out there and then people just chop it down. So sometimes I do feel sorry for some of the hate that they get from, you know, certain fans. But if, if, if you go into it with a smile and you're going to have a good time. Star Wars does not let you down. I like that. I like that. Well, let me get back to what I asked you five minutes ago, which we were about to look into <laughs> Thank these, you. these parts that were critical. But, uh, yeah, we, we kind of led naturally into a sequel conversation. But let's get back to the things that they do criticise, because the more I've gone on this month, I have learnt that actually I, I'm now more tolerant of some of it and actually appreciate what I am seeing. Now, first of all, is some of the dialogue. I think the dialogue comes under under a lot of scrutiny from this film. I mean, lines like the I don't like sand section, some of the um, mm-hmm. the romance speeches. What, what do you think about the dialogue? Do you think it was done intentionally? Well, you know, from watching some of the behind-the-scenes footage, which is on the DVDs and Blu-rays and just out there on YouTube and stuff, you kind of see that the movie was really still being edited in the editing room. Like, Lucas was editing this film at the last minute. He was changing dialogue. He was putting dialogue in different places. And with the technology, they've allowed you, as a director, to now do that. You don't have to edit on the floor or in the studio. You can literally do it in the editing room, super post-post-production. And so because of that, I feel like maybe some of the dialogue was not exactly Exactly fully baked because it was maybe used in a different part or he was trying to take a paragraph of information and sum it up in one sentence. And so you have to really, you know, kind of slim it down to the bare bones. Um, you brought up the sand quote where he and Amadala are sitting on the balcony and they're about to share their first kiss. And the, the, the sand part to me always reminded me of a foreshadowing of what better place to hide his future twins than on a planet full of sand where he came from because you would think he would never go back there. So it was almost like foreshadowing that he's only going to go back to Tatooine if it's to, you know, like if he has to. Yeah, never never thought about that, yeah. And running alongside the dialogue, I mean, Hayden Christensen's performance takes quite a battering in Attack of the Clones where for being a little bit wooden, but again, the more I read, the more that... That was what Lucas was after, because he isn't like that in Revenge of the Sith. Oh, absolutely. In fact, he's loosened up. He's got a little more attitude. They allowed him some more sarcasm in Revenge of the Sith. I feel like in Attack of the Clones, it was Hayden Christensen's first film in the Star Wars franchise. I mean, what a daunting task, too, to be the future Darth Vader. 
I mean, I'd read somewhere that that's why he didn't do conventions at the time is he felt like he stepped into a giant's shoes and didn't deserve it. And so he wasn't really fully embracing the character that he was given. Now over these years, he's learned to love it and he stands proud and he's definitely a part of Star Wars culture. But I think when Hayden first came in, I mean, young, you know, just like uh, Princess Leia, uh, you know, Carrie Fisher and Mark Hamill, when they were in the trilogies, they were all kids, basically. I think Harrison Ford was the oldest one of that group. And so it's just something where I guess when you're young, you've got a huge monumental uh, project that you're working on, like Star Wars. I can only imagine that your acting would 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 somehow come off as a little stiff. You know, you're nitpicking every eyebrow you know, raise and every smirk, you know, is going to be on camera. So I do give him a pass on that. And plus, if you're looking at it from a story point of view, let's say you're reading it in a book, you know, which again, I love the novels as well. But when you're, when you're looking at it like that, it's almost, it's almost allowable, you know, for me anyway, I'm able to write off a bit of a wooden performance as long as it doesn't take away from the story and the energy that they're building towards. And so in that regard, I felt like, he was okay but he definitely loosens up in revenge of the sith you're absolutely correct yeah this is a prime example of people maybe forgiving and being a bit more nostalgic 20 years later i mean he did get a hammering but when he was announced that he was going to be part of the kenobi cast of the tv show coming up this month correct there's been loads of love for that and i was in chicago at celebration when uh, he was there as a guest his cues were massive every day people were Absolutely. excited to see him so it definitely balances out and you do you do see it. i mean we see it all the time Ahmed best was kind of the abuse he took after absolutely and that, that's still uh yeah that's still a hot button i defended him it, it, it breaks my heart him and jake lloyd even you know, the original young Anakin yeah. Skywalker, both both near suicide at one point from the hate. I mean, it's it really breaks my heart and almost embarrasses me as a Star Wars fan with with what some other fans had done to those two actors back with the Phantom Menace. That's exactly it. I mean, it's not their decision. <laughs> They've just taken a job, basically, haven't they? Oh, absolutely. And and this is fun. Like Star Wars should be fun. It should be exciting. It should be fun. It should be energizing. It's uplifting. There's morals where you want them. There's action where you want it. And so I was always a little confused about that type of, of anger that was thrown at those two actors. And I met Ahmed Best in Chicago, the same convention. Oh, and fabulous. He was amazing. He's such a great guy. Yeah. Top notch. Yeah, recording this month, I've, I've been watching videos of him doing like interviews with some of the cast behind the scenes and stuff, and he's such a such a, a ray of sunshine on the, on the sets and kind of like so up. Yeah, he's warm. Of the way he is, he's, yeah. He's very yeah. warm. Yeah. Again, we saw it again with the sequels with Kelly Marie Tran. People didn't like Rose, and then we saw an amazing reception again when she came out at that convention. By the fans yes and i believe she's on a ticket for the next one as well how is she good good yeah because it is it is a shame to see people to get abuse for no reason yeah there's so many things in this world that you can more productively throw a little bit of anger towards and when it's an actor who did a job i just don't see the energy there yeah. <laughs> you know you you'd have you'd have better time putting that towards some other cause yeah social media for all it's good is also a, a hive of just of scum and villainy. Exactly, that's exactly a great <laughs> to, term. To quote Obi-Wan. <laughs> yeah, exactly a great term. Right, so let's get back to a couple of other points that, that do get criticised, and that is the love story. It does get, you know, this kind of awkward, kind of forbidden love story that, that's going through this film, but it is the most important thing going through this film, isn't it? 
Yeah, I, I think so. And I think for the first time, we, we, we had to see that. Lucas had to let us know that it wasn't just a quick weekend. You know, there was some deep-seated, you know, from the first time Anakin saw her in Watto's shop and he asked her if she's an angel. I mean, you could tell he thought she was a beautiful woman. Fast forward past puberty, he sees her again. It's all he's thought about for 10 years. But Star Wars at its heart, even in Empire Strikes Back with Leia and Han, you know, there's little nuggets of romance, but it's not necessarily a love story. It's, it's, it's a space opera. It's an action packed, you know, good versus evil. And so to throw a love story in there, I can imagine it would be pretty tricky to not have it come off as a little corny at times. And so with attack of the clones, when you had Padme and Anakin, remember when they're laying there in the field on Naboo and they're having their little, their little picnic, you know, and they're talking about dictatorships and, you know, it's, it's, it's like that one moment is, is, is a little, it's like a little piece of the whole, of the whole puzzle. I feel like, I feel like if he could make a four hour movie, we would have gotten more of that romance, but you have to whittle it down to a certain time limit. You don't want to take out the stuff with the clones. You don't want to take out the lightsaber fights. So I think in the end, what gets cut is a little bit of that just sitting around getting to know you kind of romance. You know, I've thought about you for years. Now I'm your chaperone and I can get to know you a little bit more, you know, because of the Jedi mandate. And so because of that, I I feel like it got a little bit trimmed down and we didn't really get to see what was going on behind the scenes. But again, if Lucas could make a five hour or six hour movie, I'm sure that would have been in there and we would have soaked it up. Okay, and now I'm going to bring the last one of these up because this is this is one scene that really does take me out of the film a little bit, and I, I still mm-hmm. struggle to watch it. And that is the the whole droid factory sequence. Now I'm aware that it was filmed very late in the day because they were either going to land on Geonosis and then they're going to be straight into the arena. I I get that they needed something to bridge right. that gap, but there's something about that scene which I I I just I when I watch that film I kind of switch off. Like like where C three PO is hanging on and it's kind of a little yeah. bit of a comedy relief. Yes, and I and, and I'm I'm right there with you. As much as I love where they were going with that, they needed to show us how the droids are being made. It's a very important scene. However, I actually do agree with you, and I think that it was aimed at a little bit of a younger audience. Um, if I were to put myself in the producer's shoes. I might have trimmed that down a little bit, you know, just kind of removed that little part. But again, as adults, we want a lot of things to be on our intellectual level. And Star Wars is still at its heart made for kids and made for the kid in all of us. And so, you know, there's a tongue-in-cheek moment, I feel like, because clearly a protocol droid, if we're getting realistic as we can, a protocol droid would not have the strength to hang on and to do that kind of maneuvering, you know, because if I remember correctly, it's a hover it's a hover um, lift and he's hanging on and he ends up, his head gets knocked off. And again, it's kind of a tongue in cheek moment to where when they go out on the field in Geonosis, he's got the wrong head on him. And again, it's a, you know, it's kind of a, a laugh, but did the laugh need to be there? I guess that's up for us to, you know, debate back and forth, but I do agree with you. It was, it wasn't exactly like the star Wars that we had been leading up to because that was a little bit unrealistic in that sense. I mean, I'm given, you know, there's a suspension of disbelief that you have to do, of course, but um, I do agree with you. I mean, that whole sequence of him losing his head, you then lead to one of the pits of dialogue, which is always uh, slated about what a drag when he's getting pulled across the, the floor. Oh, yes, the pun. <laughs> yeah. Yes, the pun. It's, that's too much. Absolutely. It's, 
and again, you know, we can chuckle at it. We know Star Wars is fun. I mean, Django's about to lose his head. There's Jedi dying everywhere. So it's not that there's no death around while we're laughing. And maybe it could have been that. Maybe it was something to lighten the heavy mood that's actually happening here by having C-3PO, you know, have a couple of one-liners. You know, great Anthony Daniels, what a man. But yeah, to have him there like that in that moment, I can only think that it might have been just something to to keep the younger audience chuckling while the older audience is thinking, damn, there's a lot of death going on right now. It's very true, very true. Okay, let, 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 let's put people's criticisms to one side. Tell me your favorite parts of this film. Tell me why you love it. What is it that really sucks you in in this film? You know, the part that still takes my breath away, I'll start there, is when Obi-Wan Kenobi is touring Kamino, for the first time, he had no idea what he was even going to get into, and they think that he's, you know, coming to check progress on this clone army, even though he has no idea, you know, who sanctioned it or anything like that. He's figuring all that out at the same time. And when they cut to that aerial view of all the clones and they're in line and they're putting on their helmets and they're grabbing their weapons and then that sort of imperial Star Wars theme kind of creeps in the background, that still takes my breath away because we know that all of these people, all of these clones are going to end up being a majority of the bad guys. You know, they might be coming off as good guys in Attack of the Clones you know, because they're, you know, going to help the Jedi fight the Separatists. But we all know in the next film, Order 66 is going to change all that. And so there's just this weight that the Jedi don't even see what's coming. Like somehow their hubris, as Luke will later say, just blinded them. And they, they, they don't even see the army literally being built in front of them that's going to destroy them. And that's just, I don't know, you take that weight out of it and it just becomes real heavy. Yeah, great, great choice, great, great place to start. Yes, yeah, so, so that's yeah, that's that's definitely one of my top scenes. But visually, um, I love what they did on Naboo with the uh, waterfalls, the way they composed that picnic scene, just so beautiful, and it kind of gives you a, you know, just a chance. I know you said the acting in that moment um, has come under, you know, some criticism, but the, you know, the backgrounds and just the sort of breath of fresh air in this moment. You know, nobody really knows what's next you know is the uh you know is palpatine going to do something evil is he not and so there's just this kind of moment right in the middle and i really like what they did with the backgrounds composing the waterfalls and really making this scene you know really making an environment that looks like it would be on an alien forest planet like naboo i also think growing up when you're a kid and you're watching those original trilogies and you you hear about oh fought in the clone wars and whatnot the battle arena in in geonosis when you see all the jedi i mean we were waiting oh, for that yeah for phenomenal to see them all fight. phenomenal um, and then they've done that in a few video games and so you've been able to relive that that scene and it's just it's so amazing in attack of the clones yeah just all the geonosians flying around i mean how many assets were in play on that one scene you know who knows yeah, I mean exactly. that's you know it's quite amazing. It's just an epic. I mean, I mean the size of that of that battle scene alone. I, I was in the making of. I was I, know, um, I was watching. They were they were saying that every Jedi was filmed individually in front of their green screen and all put into that arena. That's I mean that job alone with how many are there. Yeah, that's hundreds of layers. You know, like when you're looking at from a from a Photoshop point of view. I mean, just the layering alone must have been just a nightmare. <laughs> you know, just to get all that to work. And I love that they carved out that set. The Geonosian yeah. Arena there was literally carved. It took up an entire room. I mean, just beautiful. Just just amazing work yeah. from all involved. 
I would definitely advise people going to watch the the making of and stuff because <laughs> there is so much, so many nuggets in it. I think we haven't yeah, we haven't touched on the beginning of the film. The speeder chase through Coruscant is an oh, I love that. Yes, absolutely now. with Zam. Yeah, and and the sound effects, obviously the, the the way they incorporated that howl on her speeder, you know, when it would whiz by, there's like a howling sound like from an old horn, just just amazing. And I think we get to see Anakin's like for the first time we get to see his how how rash he is, you know, he just wants to jump in, he wants to just just go a hundred miles an hour, and Obi Wan Kenobi has to pull him back a little bit. He's like we're Jedi, you know, we'll take it slow, you know, like when they go into the club. And Anakin is just, he's young, he's impetuous, he just wants to jump right in. And so I like that there's that moment. It's almost like you're, you know, we're getting to see when Obi-Wan Kenobi later says your father was a trusted friend, you know. Uh, it's like we're getting to see that. We're getting to see their relationship now because Anakin's older. They're both, you know, paired up as, you know, a pair of Jedi, almost master and apprentice, if you will. And so it's very... It's very nice to see that, to see them bond in that beginning, that speeder chase. Yeah, that's just, you know, so great. And, of course, Jango Fett, you know, phenomenal character. And, you know, that's his big, you know, it's his big opening. Do you feel, as time goes on, things like the TV shows we're seeing, in particular with this one, The Bad Batch and um, mm-hmm. probably The Book of Boba Fett to a point, they're adding, they're adding more to Attack of the Clones, the more... You see stuff that that hops back to Attack of the Clones as a movie. Is it? Does it make it richer for you? You know, it does, and that's why I've always loved the novels. I've read the comic books. I've played the side video games. Uh, Star Wars, to me, has always been an all-encompassing franchise, and if you only watch the nine or 11 films, if you will, then you're really just getting a fraction of the story, and that's just my opinion. I feel like in order to fully embrace this galaxy far, far away. I mean, you really do need to read the books. You have to look at the comics because the side, the side stories that go along with it really flush it out. Because again, Lucas does not have the time or the money or the running time on his films to really put everything in there. And so they're using other media like video games, comic books, um, novels, to kind of more flush out these other characters. And of course, now that Disney has these TV shows coming out, I mean, it's just, you know, the sky's the limit, you know, and I love that they're able to go back and give more backstory, more credibility <clears throat> to the prequels. Do you think there's anything you, you've just said you, you've invested in the in the literature as well? I mean, you're you're clearly a very heavily invested Star Wars fan. Do you, is there anything in the in the books or, or the comics that you read at that time that you think was a mistake leaving out of the film that could have added more to it, or do you think that's a great question? Wrong? Great question. Actually, well, um, when Return of the Jedi came out, of course, you know, I was uh, you know I was ten. And so I was, you know, prime for that age group. And at the time, a couple of books came out, um, Tales from Jabba's Palace. Um, There was a book of bounty hunter stories. And it really made Return of the Jedi seem so much bigger because you'd read a side story about how the rancor that Luke Skywalker killed when he dropped the door down on his head. You learned that that rancor was actually about to be set free by the rancor keeper, who's the guy that comes in crying. And you learn that there's this attachment there and that he had tried so long to allow this rancor to escape. And then on the very day it was going to happen, Luke and his gang show up. And obviously we know what happens then and the whole place gets torn down. And then you go back and you watch Return of the Jedi and he comes in crying and you're like, oh, he, you know, like it's such a, almost a sad little nugget that you get from a side story. 
And so that really stuck with me. And some of the other little stories, there was uh, Tales from the Cantina, I believe was a novel that came out way back with little short stories about some of the aliens that were in the cantina and what they were doing in their own lives. And it really does help create this universe. You know, It's like it expands the Star Wars universe in a way that everybody has a story. Nobody was just there to look pretty or to be in the background. They kind of all have their own passions and their own reason for being there. I like that. Well, I'm, I'm sure that the more we go on, the more TV series we get... It's going to enrich and not just this film, but all the films. I do think Kenobi could really set this one on its way. It's a, a great thing to oh, be coming yeah. out on his anniversary. I think it's, uh, yeah, it could, could be a good connection there. And I think a lot of his fans are almost considering it episode 3.5. You know, it comes after uh, Revenge of the Sith. It comes before Rogue One. So it's, you know, even though it's not a film, the way they're going to break it down on Disney Plus as a limited series, and they're bringing everybody back, Hayden Christensen, uh, you know, Ewan McGregor, I really do feel like they're making another Star Wars movie for us. They're just breaking it into episodes and putting it on Disney Plus. But as far as I'm concerned, we're getting another movie at the end of the month. Yeah, super excited. Yeah, looking forward to it. Do you do conventions and things? Are you a Garavan? You know, I'm not. Um, I, I would love to. I'm not able to financially. Again, being up here, everything's, uh, you know, a, a plane ticket here and there. But I have um, I actually lived in the Midwest of the United States. And so conventions were right down the road. And so I hit a few of those. Now that I'm out here in Northern California, it's a bit of a more financial cost. And I kind of see them come and go. But um, Anaheim is really attractive. That's just down south. You know, so that would probably be the one that I could hit. Um, I'd love to come over to um, Europe. I'd love to do something in another country. But, um, yeah, so I, I don't hit the conventions that I used to. It is a financial uh, commitment, isn't it? It's, um, yeah. Not well, and, of course, when I get there, I'm going to have to buy everything I see. So, you know. <laughs> Were, were you invested in so you said you were 10 when you returned the jedi came out which would have made you roughly 29 30 when this came out were you still invested in the toy lines at that point did oh, you 100 percent. You... in fact we were that guy uh my, my brother and i had our little bachelor pad when these films came out and we were buying the toys pinning them on the wall we were buying every poster we have all the productional art for uh the prequel trilogy and we would line our walls from ceiling to floor with the posters and our friends would come over and they're like well you guys are really into star wars and it's like uh, well that was just our wallpaper so yes we've we we i still have those in storage somewhere but yeah we've definitely collected the toys the posters and we put them on the wall and it's just something we needed to look at you know it was mental health at a glance <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's uh, the same for everybody still involved in it. Uh-huh. Well, Matthew, thank you so much for chatting. Oh, it's been a pleasure. Was. It's been yeah. an absolute pleasure. It's been great to have you on and catch you up. I mean, I've been on on those groups for a while, and I, I, I see you do all these posts all the time, and I think oh, he's really invested in these. And I mean, the Phantom Minister me is one of is right up there for me as a Star Wars film. I really enjoyed it, and that took some hate. I was it did, it did. And again, top notch. I mean, it's a great way to start the whole thing, you know, to start this whole adventure. Like if you're going to start Star Wars, unless you're going to play Knights of the Old Republic, you really have to start with the Phantom Menace. So I love, yes, I'm, I'm, I'm right there with you. And I, I, can't, I can't say enough about those films and as a fan and how they've made me a better adult and they've made me look at life problems differently. And really Star Wars, if you allow it to be, is, is, is very uplifting. You know, it's a... It's a very empowering story to get behind. Just one more thing. Where, where do you rank Attack of the Clones? If you were ranking all 11 live-action films? 
Okay, fair enough. Um, let's see. I would put that. Let's see. I would put it at a number. I'm going to say number four. Okay. So what would be above it? Just just out of interest. Sure. Yeah. You know. And and again, I mean, I, we're just having fun here. But for the age I was, and we always attach things to our age. Yeah. My top film is Return of the Jedi. And Return of the Jedi came out again when I was 10, and it was just very important, and we had the toys, and I, uh, you know, my brother slept with his Rancor toy next to him on the pillow. So Return of the Jedi will always be very close to the child side of me. Um, As an adult, it's probably Revenge of the Sith would be the one above that because we get to see the dark, dark tragedy of Anakin that we've waited decades to see. We get to see why he becomes Darth Vader, and that was pretty monumental. And then I think the two above that would be A New Hope, and believe it or not, Rogue One. I love what John yeah, Knoll did with Rogue One. Phenomenal film. I like that. I mean, you, you've obviously you list them as you actually feel them, rather than a lot of people from our kind of age would have the OT and then the prequels and the sequels. I mean, that, that's a nice, nice broad kind of picking out for certain reasons. I like that. I mean, you yeah, are so invested, definitely... so invested with Return of the Jedi that you moved from Midwest just to be near Endor. <laughs> yeah, t- totally. And then I was a little disheartened that a lot of them have been paved over and it's somebody's backyard now. <laughs> yeah. But, 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 you know, all that aside, I think we do attach memories to when we watch movies. You know, it's a very personal experience, movies are. And so I think that's why people are um, both sides. You get the love, you get a little bit of the anger, because again, we're all invested. We all feel like pop culture is our little piece, you know, it's our little piece of the pie. And, um, yeah, you know, Star Wars is just so, so fun if you allow it to be. Yeah, brilliant, brilliant. Now, that is a quote. Uh, Matthew, thank you so much. Listeners, please go and uh, check out those groups. Get involved in them because there's some wonderful posts going on. And um, Well, thank you, Stuart. I really appreciate that. And this has been an absolute blast. I love talking about Star Wars. I don't do it enough. Look! Massive thank you to Matthew Schoenfelder again. Uh, Go and check out his Facebook groups for all three prequels. Just search the name and put the year they were released in with film in the brackets. Um, So Attack of the Clones 2002 film and you will come across those groups. While you're on Facebook, be sure to go and check out Generation Skywalker and our community page, We Are Generation Skywalker, where there's lots of conversation going on, including the daily Joe Caston new posts, which Craig's been putting up, some brilliant facts coming out about this film, love it or hate it, it does have its place in Star Wars folklore. Also, go and check out Instagram and Twitter, again, just search for Generation Skywalker, hit the YouTube channel, hit that subscribe button, search Generation Skywalker again, you will find a host of things happening over there at the moment. A lot of the shows are being enhanced. There is unboxing videos coming as well. There was a Skywalker blast just a few days ago, which we recorded back in August, where we talked about the um, the trailers. So go and check that out as well. And of course, if you can't remember any of that, head over to www.generationskywalker.com where you will find links to everything as well as a host of blogs all about Star Wars. But it is for this show. Good night from me, your Generation Skywalker.